Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks, the podcast that celebrates the people and places that make this beach special. This is episode 046 with local historian Barbara Pardue. Barbara Pardue runs a Facebook page called Northern Outer Banks History. Her bloodlines run deep on the Northern Outer Banks, and her passion for the history is unmatched. She was first bitten by the history bug by a grandfather who shared numerous stories which led to her own personal research. She started the Facebook page to share this knowledge and research with her family. In this interview, Barbara shares stories of murder, gold bars, brothels, a revolutionary hero, Blackbeard, the Ash Wednesday storm, and more. If it sounds like we're in a restaurant, we are. We recorded this sitting in the First Light Restaurant, which is located in Timbuktu Shopping Center, Kerala. This was my first time there, and they serve a great breakfast. They also serve lunch and dinner, and they have a small bar if you just want to hang out and have a good time. It's a cool little place and probably a lot busier in the summertime. I greatly appreciate them letting us sit there for this recording. You can hear the whole interview right here, right now. Facebook page, Northern Outer Banks History. This is your page, right? Yes. Okay. And tell me a little bit about, about the page. I started it a couple years ago when um, there was nothing on the Outer Banks for history, Northern Outer Banks. They were doing a page for Sandbridge and Back Bay and Knott's Island, but not for the Northern Outer Banks. That's when I started it. Okay. So it's a personal project of yours? Yes. And uh, so are you kind of like the, the local family historian? Definitely family historian, <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and where, where do you get most of your sources from? Well, a long time ago, it was through yarns and stories from the family, and then I started doing research in 74. My grandfather was down at Nags Head by Jockey's Ridge, and um, I had just come from a family reunion up in Moyoc, and he told me some stories that were so wild <laughs> that my mother and father were standing behind a door listening to my her father tell me all these stories. So after we left, my mother hadn't even heard these stories. We started doing research at the Kirtuk Library, and we found more information. Then in 84, 5, 6, 7, I started again. And I had an older first cousin named Lillian Tillett from Wanchies, and he had massive amount of information. And he knew I was enthused about it, so... Was this just from memory, or did he write no, it down? No, he... He copied everything. Okay. He would take a week's vacation, go up to Raleigh, and um, wow. copy stuff. And so I had already copied a lot of stuff from Raleigh at the archives, and it was like emerging. So he gave me his information in garbage bags. Wow. And my husband and I took two weeks at Kinko's in Greenville, North Carolina, to copy all wow. this stuff, and then we bound it. Then we sort of organized it, and then we gave back the garbage bags. <laughs> So that really started it, but several years ago, I got Ancestry, and I started doing that, and a lot of the Ancestry is wrong, and if you keep going depth into it, you might get it right, but I got you, st- a, you started nailing down your Ancestry. Yes, Ancestry, okay. and I started nailing down all the other chains of family were related to my family, so I did groups, just not the Balms and the Whites, I did Tillets, Daniels, you name it, I did it, Beasley's. But I got a free subscription to newspapers.com through Ancestry. Wow. And when I did that, 
I was looking up a murder mystery, which nobody in the family knew about. We knew my great-grandfather had been murdered. And I started looking up the newspapers with Elizabeth City and the surrounding newspapers, and it was like, voila, I found the murder case. So it was like I called several cousins up. They had never known about it. And I started copying all these newspaper articles. And I had this subscription for one week. <laughs> I copied every article I could copy. I copied about the Whalehead Club, anything in Kerala, any kind of histories on everybody that lived in the northern Outer Banks. And after that, I got that one free week. And then I subscribed to it. And I started doing more ancestry. Well, I started looking at a website, uh, Facebook's Lago Moral Back Bay. Okay. And the administrator is Brian, and he started having some little stories about the Outer Banks, his mysteries or info, and I started sending him some newspaper clippings. Then I decided, well, I could do a little Facebook page just for the northern Outer Banks. And so I started it, and that's it. And how often do you post? Uh, sometimes I get in a roll, it'll be once or twice a month. And sometimes I'll just, I do a lot of research in between, so it takes mm -hmm. me a while. And um, I forward some of the good articles that Brian writes onto my I uh, share it to my uh, Facebook page, but it's usually about the Northern Outer Banks. Right. And you, see, you went to college at East Carolina. Were you a history major or anything? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was an education major, and I cannot write. So um, I still can't write. And Brian writes such good articles, so I usually s I send some information to him, and he can write it up much better. Yeah. And then I'll share it on my, my site. And so what are your favorite stories? Oh, I have one favorite of all. And it was one that I discovered on newspapers.com and then I really went into it. But it was, the, it was like two or three murders on the Northern Outer Banks. And this was the number one. This was the first one. And it was my great-grandmother who murdered her husband. <laughs> You want to hear more? Oh, please. Okay. <laughs> well, <clears throat> they were very wealthy. It was Leon White, and he was one of the wealthiest cattlemen on the banks. He had the most cattle that roamed and grazed. And his hunt club was the Kirtuck Inlet Hunt Club, which he opened in 1894 wow. and called it the L.R. White Summer Hotel. So... His first pre-visitor was President Grover Cleveland in 1894. Wow. And then it was publicized in 1895 for the grand opening. It was $2 a night. So on the Outer Banks, there was three hotels, the Nags Head, which was at $2 a night, and then up at Pine Island, which was the um, Balm Estate. His cousin had one there, which you don't hear much about, but it was a $2 a night hotel. And then it was Leon's hotel at $2 a night. So a lot of the cattlemen would come up, take their cattle all the way from Hatteras up, and then stop there, spend the night, and also could ship them off or keep on going up the beach 
and go to Norfolk and sell them. So it was the stopover point. And then during the winter, it was the duck hunting club. Mm. So Grover Cleveland came in 1894 and shot for a while, and then he went down to um, Hatteras and went fishing and shot down there. So he was well known. He was a political man, too, and he acquired a lot of land. He originally owned 640 acres, and then it was down to about 485. And it, well known for duck hunting, big time. And he was into politics also. In 1913, they had an argument. His wife was named Maggie. And um, he and her were going to go to the courthouse, and she wanted some property to be settled. And he argued, I guess, with her, and they said they would take the boat over to the Kurtuk Courthouse. Which is pretty much directly across. Directly across from the Kurtuk Inlet. And so he told her, he said, I forgot something. And he was going to go back to the clubhouse. Instead, he went on another dock on another boat and went over and left her at the dock. Left her overnight. So (laughs) she went back to bed. I guess she was very upset. And the next morning, some people came by to see Leon. Well, she said, I don't know. I guess he's in bed. Well, they went to his bed, found out he was shot in the head twice. And he wasn't dead yet. Oh. He, he still lived Holy for two days. But um, then they went and called the magistrate because something was fishy here. Yeah. And Maggie said, he must have committed suicide. <laughs> Shot himself in the head. Well, of course, you're not going to shoot yourself twice. Right. And the second thing, there was no gun in the bed. Right. So it was suspicious. So yeah. they went and had a... Um, sort of a trial. They put her up on the mainland and uh, had an inquiry. And then she said, I think I heard somebody in the house. And they went out the back of the house. It must have been somebody else. So that's just another lie. So she got not put in jail because she couldn't stay in jail on current type. So the local uh, sheriff put her in his house with his kids. (laughs) So she stayed there and then so she had eight kids left at home. She had 15 total. No way. Eight kids were left at home. And somebody was taking care of them, but they didn't know what happened. Right. This was kept a secret from all the children. No way. And so one of the grown daughters had come down from Scotland Neck and was at her father's side. Nobody knew this story. It was kept a secret. Right. So this happened September... The 5th, he died on September 6th. It could have happened September 4th. Okay. And um, the trial didn't happen until March, six months later when the circuit judge came around. Well, this was in 13 major newspapers. Wow. It was headlines in one newspaper right next to George Vanderbilt dying. <laughs> Is that right? It was on the column next to George. And uh, it was really unbelievable. And they found her not guilty. And you said they found the the weapon, though? Well, they found her not guilty because of lack of evidence. Right. But several years later. Oh, several years later. Yeah. Months, years. But it was later. Yeah. They found the gun in the flower garden (laughs) in front of the hunt club. Wow. They were walking by the whole time. No, it's like they must have dug up and planted some new flowers and <laughs> found this gun. Right. 
it all kept secret. I mean, that was never publicized either. Right. That was from a relative that I found that was related to some distant second cousin. It was unbelievable. So was she still alive when they found the gun? Oh, yeah. She didn't die until 38. Of course, he's dead. She's alive. She's running the hunt club with her two youngest sons. And later on, she had to give it up. And she moved to um, Portsmouth and uh, was living with her older sister. And nobody ever knew Crazy. she was guilty. I called her Lizzie Borden because yeah. she got off. So I call her our Lizzie Borden. <laughs> but that is a great story because... That is amazing. To get away with murder. She did. Let's see. You also talk about... Um, what about your, your grandfather who found a gold bar? Oh, that was unbelievable. <laughs> it was during the time that Roosevelt wouldn't let you own gold. Really? Yes. And I, right offhand, I don't know the exact year, but you cannot own gold. And um, my grandfather completely hated Roosevelt. He found a gold bar, and he went down to the post office. Wait, there's got there's no there's no more story. He just he tripped over a gold bar. No, no, no. <laughs> he found it in the Kirtuck Inlet. Crazy. He found it, and when he got so mad down at the post office when they said it was illegal to own it, <laughs> he wasn't exactly sober at the time. He went and dumped it in the deepest part of the inlet. Oh, jeez. So it happened that. Roosevelt was coming in 1937 for the opening of the um, Lost Colony. And my grandfather was from Nags Head Woods. And my, my mother, May Beasley, uh, was in the woods. And they told her to go trail Grandpa, who was named Yusef Beasley, because he was going down to see Roosevelt drive by. And they thought he might do something bad to Roosevelt. <laughs> Right. So my mother was going through the woods, and she hid behind a tree. Well, she hid behind the tree. Grandpa knew she was there, so he later hid behind a tree. And then when my mother was looking for him, he scared her to death. So they walked down and went down to the main road to wave at Roosevelt, and she was hoping he would just wave. Instead, he sort of cussed him out and yelled and everything <laughs> and everything. But she had to be keeping an eye on him so he wouldn't do anything crazy. Right. So he hated Roosevelt after that section with the gold bar. Right. <laughs> um, you have a story about, is it Bessie Downey? Betsy Downey. Betsy Downey. Betsy Downey. Well, there at the end of the inlet, Kirtek Inlet, which is about five, six miles down from the original old Kirtek Inlet at the Virginia Line, which they call Corova, <laughs> um, it was a new inlet, and it opened up in 1718. And um, what it, it was opened up 1713 because 1718 Blackbeard died and he had gone through the inlet. But in um, Revolutionary War time, they had an island out there. It was 112 acres. They didn't have a name for the island, but it had like a pub on it. And all the schooners that would come through the inlet, which was about nine feet deep at the time, would stop at the pub. And they would have their liquor and everything. And every time these old pubs during the Revolutionary War, they had a brothel. All right. And so um, one of the clerks of court way back when said in his book, uh, said in his statement one time that all the illegal children of Kirtuck County, all not illegal, but a, 
illicit? Illegitimate. Illegitimate. Yeah, that's right. That's the correct word. Came from that island. <laughs> so what happened was um, they would come over there and stop and have their liquor and everything and their women, and then they would head over to the Kurtuk Courthouse, was directly across from the Kurtuk Inlet. Well, later on, Betsy Dowdy, who was raised on the banks, um, she heard that the English were coming, they were in Norfolk, and they were slaughtering all the horses and everything. She didn't want her banker horse, Black Bess, to um, get killed or anything like that. So she rode that horse across the way to say to General Skinner that the British were coming. It was an old story, but they named that island Betsy's Marsh. That's awesome. So, um, How come you think she doesn't get the same notoriety that Paul Revere gets? She should. Yeah. She did it before he did. And she traveled a lot further. And another thing is, she did it by herself. Right. Well, Paul Revere had several other people. And now they have put a plaque up over on the Kurtuk side right. for Betsy. Right. That's a, is that a coin job kind of? It's a red marker. It's in front of like a Dollar General. It's off the road some. It's yeah. got briars and everything because I tried getting a close-up picture <laughs> of it. Yeah, it's not far from uh, Kurtuk High School. Uh, it should be it should be in a welcome center, not there, because you can't stop True. and read the sign because you're going 55 miles an hour. Right. So it should be in a better location than that. But anyway, they did commemorate her, but she's not a yarn. She is true. That's great. And I, I did some research on that. And in the um, wills, she inherited a, a calf, yeah. a cow from her father. So that's unique. But she was raised on the banks right near the Kurtuk Inlet. Wow, that's awesome. A lot of history in that Kurtuk Inlet. Yeah, so, so just to give the listener a little uh, feel for what that was like, it was an enormous body of water, so big that full-on sailboats could sail through, full sail, sail right through the inlet and go straight to the courthouse in, in uh, well, Kurtuk. they could somehow get to the courthouse. If they couldn't get past Betsy's Marsh, they had smaller little boats to right. go but um it was 1.2 miles wide so they had Man. a south channel which was deeper okay. and that's where our family's estate boundaries on uh, the Kurtuk Inlet Hunt Club also the L.R. White Hotel and um 1.2 miles north of that going toward North Swan Beach was the north channel so it was a north channel south channel which was deeper okay. just like Oregon Inlet right. it's almost like North Oregon Inlet, but not as wide. Right, right. So you had another story about uh, Blackbeard. Tell me about your Blackbeard story. Blackbeard, I love this story. Barbara Snowden wrote it up one time. She's the historian for Kurtuk County. And it was Blackbeard going through the inlet in 1718, two weeks before he was killed down at Okokoka Beaufort Inlet. And um, there was a William Bell he owned Bell, Bell's Island, and uh, he had some gold. He had some. He had a silver chalice. He had uh, food and whatever products he had. But the uh, port authority, Tobias Knight, knew he had this stuff. And there's a place right off the east side of Knott's Island called Knight's Point, and that was where the old Kurtuk Inlet was. And that Kurtuk Inlet closed at the same time the new Kurtuk Inlet opened. Well, the story goes, Blackbeard came in, took his little proje, proje uh, his little boat, 
and um, it had like one sale on it, and mm -hmm. he went straight over to Bell's Island and robbed Mr. Bell, and that that uh, merchandise that he stole uh, from Mr. Bell was later found in the ship when Black Bear was killed. So Mr. Bell went up to Williamsburg and he was one of the witnesses and he wanted to get his silver oh, goblet back. Yeah, so there's the connection. Right and there. there's the connection. The bad connection is there was a William Bell down in Bath too okay. that had Bell Island and there's a William Bell in Kirtuk okay. that had Bell's Island. Okay. Both were government workers. <laughs> and it was called Kirtuk Precinct. Not Kirtuk County, it was Albemarle County, but the Kirtuk Precinct. Right. But there's two different stories. I'm on the edge of believing the Kirtuk County one because of the Tobias Knight and Knight's Point. Right. Because that seems to be more true. Right. Even if they did have a little record of Kirtuk Precinct from one of the uh, pirates that was on trial in Williamsburg. They had a mention of that? Yes, they did mention that in the court records. But how do you believe a pirate all the time? <laughs> yes, who's about to be hanged, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. A lot of this information that I found um, is through research, and it's also through East Carolina University archives. Um, I have done a lot of work at the Raleigh Archives, and a lot of their older information has been put in vaults and you cannot handle anymore. And it's all microfilm, and the microfilm is in lit. You can't read it. Yeah. But this information I used to go to the courthouse at Kirtuk right? and read it. Is that right? And I copied it. So I would go back to the archives in Raleigh and retry to get a couple pages I missed, and I can't oh, get man. it. They've got it in a vault that they will not take out anymore wow. so it's impossible to get some of these pages we're just out of curiosity where are you keeping all this information do you just have reams and reams of notebooks and stuff uh, notebooks and then I ended up I made 11 by 8 folders and I had them bound at places and I I would copy it and bound it and then put contents on the outside of it and I have got loads of that stuff yeah but other than the 25 cent little leaflets you get you know, at Staples or whatever and write the notes every time I do it. I've got loads of them, but I've also got bound ones wow. that I've kept records for. They'll go someplace somewhere when yeah. the time comes when I die. <laughs> but I keep yeah. on finding more information now and I have to um, write it up. I have people that call me all the time. Yeah, that's cool. And, it, and they want to find out something. Okay. And so um, recently, last year a lady from Knott's Island called me up and asked me about the Indians and when did they finally leave oh right and that was an interesting story because I didn't know much about the Indians right and um, they really she really wanted to know when they left Knott's Island but also Kirtuk and then there was the Trail of Tears of course but it was really had to do with when the census came out and in the census the Indians had to sign and had a check box. They either had to sign the, for colored mm, or white. Right. So they had to choose one or the other. And you lost all the census then for Indians. Yeah, right. They, they had to sign either like or. Yeah. So you don't have much 
information on that subject. Right. Ash Wednesday storm, you've done a little research on that? Oh, well, that was just fact. But we were here right after the Ash Wednesday storm. And, um, you personally? Personally. I was a little kid, but my grandfather was related to both of the ladies who died on the Ash Wednesday storm. And um, What were their names? Do you know? Oh, well, uh, Eva O'Neill, which her son was Griggs O'Neill, the deputy sheriff in Kerala. And that's the O'Neill side on his mother's side. And the other one was um, Ladybug Bowden. And uh, Ladybug was his oldest sister. And that was her nickname, Margaret. Her name was Margaret Beasley Bowden. And they both died right there at the Kirtuck Inlet. You saw it today, yep. near the um, Coast Guard Station. And um, like drowning, a heart attack. One was trying they to They were save. in the house, right? I mean, they yeah, got they were in the house. in the house. Yeah, but one went out to save her horses that were in the pen. Right. And he died of exhaustion and exposure and everything like that. One was like in her early 60s and one was early 80s. Right. And so um, they died in the Ash Wednesday storm book that was printed. They said nobody died in Dare County. But in Kirtuck County, two died. Right. Right. What, what did you think of the devastation when you came out here and saw it? Well, when it was out, it was a lot of puddles. It was all clear water. Uh, sand dune was gone. And um, I went through the house, and so did, I think, a couple other little eight, nine-year-olds down the beach, the um, potting kids. And uh, I didn't know they had done it, but I'd seen pictures later. But I did. I went through them, and they had, like, sand dunes around them and stuff. And I went through the drawers. I didn't take anything out of these houses. I just looked inside the houses. And um, like drawers with their clothes in it and everything, it was upsetting. But at that time, I went to the um, my grandfather and grandmother took me to a graveyard that had been covered over with sand for decades, and now the Ash Wednesday storm had washed it away, and everything was beautiful white. How crazy is that? Graves, and this was the old um, Kirtuk Inlet Methodist Church's graveyard. And so that name of that church changed. Every time the Coast Guard changed the name, it was the Kirtuk Inlet Life Saving Station. Right. And then the church was called the Kirtuk Inlet Methodist Church. Right. Then they changed it to Coast Guard. And so the name of the church was changed to Penny's Hill Coast Guard Station. Right. Well, the cemetery changed its name twice too, but the cemetery became uncovered. And my grandmother was sitting there telling me each grave and how one lady died childbirth and one lady had two twins there. And all then Caleb Barca, he was the uh, postmaster of Barca. And he had been raised on the beach, the northern banks, and he had died and that's where he was buried. But all these graves were right there and I got to see them. So in 1987, I asked my older cousin, Lil and Tillin, I said, I wanna go back there and see those graves again. We started looking, and we could only find about six inches of Caleb Barco's grave. Well, again, another about several years ago, I went back to the graveyard, and I couldn't find any of the graves. Just None. covered with sand. Covered with sand. Right. It's wildlife property. I have no idea. And I've had people go back there and look. We've tried with metal detectors and everything. Couldn't do it, even though it's wildlife land. It's too bad that <laughs> they didn't want my metal detector, but we're looking for a graveyard. Yes, yeah, understood. So there's two graveyards. There's one on our property, and um, that's the Smith Graveyard in 
and Cal graveyard, and then there's the this graveyard, which the church had. So there's two graveyards. Right. And I've heard that you know some of these communities just sprouted up around the Coast Guard life-saving stations, or the whatever you want to, the U.S. life-saving station, surfer. Well, U.S. life-saving stations and Coast Guard stations. Yes, right. Yeah. And so there's probably a couple more. I'm thinking there's got to be a couple more uh, cemeteries. No? No. What happened? They might have been deserted? No? No. What they did was they buried them by the telephone poles. Is that right? Like when they had shipwrecks, they either took an area and put one group of shipwrecks in certain areas, and then they thought, oh, I think we did it there. Oh, I think we did it there at the (laughs) Methodist Church. Oh, I don't know, because you can't find it anymore, so you don't know. Right. Then I was told by Barbara one time that there was an anchor, and they grave, they buried everybody by this anchor. If I ever find this anchor, it might be a graveyard. Right. Then they had a shipwreck of the, um, and, uh, the day when they were finishing up the lighthouse in Kerala, and it, everybody was killed. And those graves, they, they buried them at every pole, telegraph pole. Crazy. Right. And there's no graves. Right. They just buried them at the right. telegraph poles. What about Penny's Hill? I've, I've seen a lot about Penny's Hill, but I've never got to experience it. Yeah. So. Well, today you got to see a picture. <laughs> I saw a picture of Penny's Hill. And everybody talks about Penny's Hills. It was the greatest place to drive your car up in your <laughs> roadster in the 60s, early 70s. But um, some of these locals have you know, said, oh, no, this is Penny's Hill. But... I've proven through pictures. I've got a picture in 1939 that Penny's Hill was located north of the Kirtuck Inlet, right on the edge. All right. And in 39, it was sitting right there in the middle of the Kirtuck Inlet. And then it shifted southward. But the two hills that were south was Newark's Hill, and the bigger one was Dutton's Hill. And so what Penny's Hill it took to go down, it shifted, Lewark's Hill was shifting in the 1930s and it covered up the postal office which was called Seagull. It was definitely closed 32 to 36. Lewark's Hill going into Dutton's Hill and then finally you got Penny's Hill. So it was three hills that combined into one. Okay. But the original two that were there were Lewark and Dutton. Why does Lewark's Bring a bell with me. Was, was there somebody historical around here? Well, the biggest, the biggest story in the United States was the biggest child in the world was. Maybe that's what I said. That's it. The big boy of Kirtuck County. <laughs> that's right. I think I saw he that post Lewark, recently. Lewark. and um, he died at a young age and everything, and he was um, well known and everybody liked him also. Yeah, he, but that was the Luarks right there. Okay. Right there at Penny's Hill. It was their hill. It was called Luarks Hill. Wow. It hadn't even been called Penny's Hill. Oh, it so was still Luarks Hill new. Okay. when he was living. Right. And I've heard that from other places on the Outer Banks is that it used to be called this. Now it's called that. You know. So. Well, I think I've got families. it straight if they've read my Facebook page because <laughs> I even had maps showing back when it was called Penny's Hill. And I also have the map that says Luark's Hill, and I have the map that says Dutton's Hill. So it's called Proof is in the Pudding when I've got these (laughs) old maps. Right. But it's a good story about Luark's. 
But they left in the 40s. The whole Truth, family. Truthfully, a lot of people started leaving. And, um, yeah, that was uh, Nags Head Woods. A lot of people around, around World War II, people just started mm-hmm. looking yeah. for work somewhere else. Yeah, um, it was hard. Uh, duck, duck hunting had gotten restricted. And um, 1936, you had a big storm. You had, I think, two hurricanes in one year. Yeah. And it got washed over. <laughs> it changed the salinity and everything changed. Mother Nature changed. Um, 36 was the big year because even it washed over from the old Kurtuk Inlet and wiped out all the gardens, the pine trees, oh, really? the farming, everything was destroyed. So 36 to 40, it was almost like they were leaving um, left to off of Princess Anne County. Yeah, well, it was a hard life down here. Yeah, because it was not it, easy. In the 40s, when they started having bodies washing up on shore from all the graveyard of the Atlantic, shipwrecks and oh, sh- yes. uh, it was like ships a, being shot was down. a lot of dead bodies on the beach. Right. So they left. Yeah. We still own our property. We come down, but my mother was born there, 1924. My grandmother was born there in 1899. My great-great-grandmother was born there in 1827. So it goes back full ways. That's amazing, isn't it? Somebody said, well, you must not have lived here very long. I said, no, I haven't lived here very long. You must not have been around here very long because you don't know the mile post numbers. I said, no, I don't really know the mile post numbers. I know the sand dunes, you know, yeah. I know all that. <laughs> well, you must not have said, no, I haven't been here very long. Maybe back, family's been here about 300 years, but no, we haven't been here very long. <laughs> Any other good stories you want to share? Well, since we're doing this podcast and it's February, um, it's a good time to say about one historically correct event that happened, and it happened again with my family. Um, story goes back to um, Judge Wedby. Judge Charles Wedby wrote the mysteries, Outer Banks Mysteries, and I loved his books. I collected every one of them. I started doing my research in 74, so he wrote this book in 78, 1978, and it was a story about Kurtuk Jack. Kurtuk Jack, judge had fantasized it. He always makes a yarn out of everything. But I corrected him at his book signing. I said, you said Samuel Jasper, who was my fourth great grandfather. <laughs> and I said, and then you come up after Samuel Jasper, you repeated it a name again, you call him Samuel Jarvis. I said, that's a mistake, his name is Samuel Jasper. You call him Jarvis. And then he said they were brother-in-laws when actually they were half-brothers. So I just wanted to say this to you so in case you do a second printing of this, you get it right. Okay. So, um, Is this but, author still alive? Oh, no. Judge Wedby was an old guy. He was okay. a judge in Greenville, North Carolina. Okay. But he was from Hartford, but he had one of the old houses down at Nags Head. He was a character. He wrote about Blackbeard and the, the skull of Blackbeard's supposed to have been a cup, a drinking cup, okay. back when he was in a fraternity, and all these old yarns. He's told many an old yarn. But later on, uh, Paramore wrote it in Chapel Hill, and he wrote the story upright. Everything was correct. But the story goes like this. Um, Kurtuk Jack was a black slave, supposed to have been about seven foot tall, and he was owned by Henry White of Knott's Island. And Knott's Island, Henry's um, relative was Caleb White, Cal White was half or step half brothers, step brothers to Samuel Jasper, and those three were taking their merchant ship Polly out of Charleston, and ended up the British captured them, 
and they try to convince Jack the slave, who was owned by Caleb, um, well, originally was owned by Henry, to defect and go to the British side. Well, Jack didn't. And he stayed and he got unchained by the British and he ended up telling the uh, Caleb and Samuel about what the British were doing and they were going to make up a story about capturing the British. So they all got, broke their chains and those three captured the five British that take, had taken over the schooner Polly. Well, they managed to make it to where they were going and um, the Continental Congress had said that Jack the slave should have been given his freedom. So Jack had to stay up in the area in a hospital because he was uh, he was severely injured from the frost and the snow and the boat because he was up on the top deck. Well, he later came back to Knott's Island and Henry White wouldn't let his freedom for Jack, wouldn't let go of him. He was then willed to Caleb White and again the same thing goes and so Caleb left everything to his half-brother, Samuel Jasper, and they worked it out, and um, Jack was free. So Jack went and took the name of John Jasper White. He took his owner's names, his official name, and he was set free, and he paid for another slave to be his wife, and he became a shipping captain out of Knott's Island and lived on the west-hand side of Knott's Island, connected to, he had his own land, connected Samuel Jasper, uh, Samuel Jasper's homestead. Well, Jack became a shipping captain, and everybody on Knott's Island approved of him. But it's in the Library of Congress, the story about Kurtuck Jack. Right. It's a unique story. Yeah, and now I believe they're building a statue of him? In oh, Kirsten I hope County? so. It's, it, it made it to the semifinalist. Barbara Snowden wrote it all up. It made it to the semifinalists, but it could take several years. But um, one of these days, it will make it to the finalists and then become a monument. Hopefully, they'll put it on the Kurtuck side. I could right. see that. Like yeah. a welcome center or someplace that it could yeah. be recognized. Not I think like that's Bet- what they're talking about. Not like Betsy Daddy out in the field. <laughs> I mean, you, you right. should at least see it. Right. But it is a true story. And that's it's in the Library story. of Congress. Yeah. So that's a great story. That is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Um, any other, um, any projects you got coming up? Anything um, you're working on at the moment? I am working on a couple things. I'm still trying to figure things out. Um, I had to do it on the my sly. And uh, <laughs> it's, what I do, it takes me a while to figure things out. People ask me questions and I'll look stuff up. But I am working on about three projects. Any desire to put anything like a book together oh goodness no <laughs> i cannot write i i was terrible no 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 um let other people write these stories all right i just want the stories to be passed down i want to right. be i want history is correct i don't want anybody changing the history i don't want any well history always changes uh, i've learned i mean i made mistakes i didn't know the story about it, the o'neills on the outer banks i mean i thought my family my grandmother from Nags Head Woods was an O'Neill. I thought they were one of the first families of the Outer Banks looking for the ship for the Lost Colony and found out they weren't. 
the Scarboroughs and the O'Neills were not members of the ship. And so um, that's one of the stories I found through research. Nice. But um, I'm still looking up stuff. All right. It won't stop. I definitely can't write a book. No? Nah. <laughs> nah. But, okay, the one thing I'm into, and I do help, um, Roger Payne wrote Place Names on the Outer Banks. I, I, I tell people to buy that book. They, if they're in history and want to learn correct place names. Yeah, history, I did buy that book, by the way. You did? Yeah. I mean, that was his first book in 85. Then he wrote another book a couple years ago. And um, his first book, he had a couple, couple islands that were incorrect. And I wrote him. And I said, yeah, these islands are incorrect, the position of where they're at. He said, why? I said, how do you know that? And I said, because we own those islands. And so he was so nice, he sent me another book. So I, and I got the book. And so hopefully he'll write a third edition. But um, I've contacted him on a couple locations about place names. And you really got to know the place names and have history correct. And so that's one of the things that I look into a lot is yeah. place names. And for the listener... This, this gentleman wrote a book, and it, it's all about the history of the names of North Carolina, you know, and how some were preceded and succeeded. Some names were just changed, outright changed. Some were forgotten. Oh, some islands were sunk. They, they don't exist anymore. There's creeks, names, rivers, but it's the Outer Banks. And um, it's good to know. It's, it's the biggest one I've... I'll work on too until I die. Is um, Corova? Corova is the last 2.3 miles by the northern by the Virginia line. And that was it. That's technically that was a development, right? Yes, Corova Beach. It was called. Which, by the way, I just learned out a year ago that it's a it's a combination of Carolina and Virginia. Shows you how slow I am. No, but there's a lot of people up at Corova who write it and they call it Corova as a combination of the Kerala and Virginia. <laughs> and so those little things, that's one of the major things why I did the Facebook page. The Facebook page was first to tell my distant relatives their history, which they didn't know. The second was for place names. And place names for the locals who are buying in to the northern outer banks so they'll know that this is the northern outer banks. And now the whole Curta County yeah. is called Corova. Um, people down at Pine Island, yeah. I don't think they want to be called Corova, but they do call the four-wheel drive area Corova, which is not. It's like Seagull, Swan Beach, um, us, the Maggie White Estate, then the Federal Wildlife Land, the North Swan Beach, and then the last 2.3 miles is Corova. Do people still call Seagull Seagull? Not really. Not really. Seagull lost his post office in the 30s. That's the thought, funny yeah. story about that was um, the Seagull post office was owned by Guggenheim. The museum? Uh-uh. His relatives. Robert Guggenheim okay. owned that land. Really? And he had the O'Neills as superintendents. Okay. O'Neill again. Okay. That famous name. Right. And um, they started us post office in 1909 it was closed up because of the sanding up of the house right. which he, he left and ended up the O'Neills got the land but Guggenheim had his own hunt club yeah. Yeah, crazy. and that is the Guggenheims that died on the Titanic the Guggenheims that really? were the museum in New York Guggenheims it's the same Guggenheims wow. just like the Curta club 
had Willie Vanderbilt to, uh, and J.P. Morgan. Right. That's do, big uh, names. Yeah. But they didn't have their wives, remember. <laughs> they liked, as Travis Moore wrote in his books, they liked the creeks and all the quirkiness about the old hunt clubs. They didn't want it to be real modernized. And then the Swan Island Club were the Bostonians. Yeah. That was like um, Indicott Shoes. He was a member. Okay. And that's a big name in the shoe company. That's just amazing. It was just... These beaches were just overrun by northerners just trying to get away, right? Yes. Trying to find... And they left it as it was. <laughs> they didn't try to make huge improvements. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was... Um, I was it, just reading about the J.P. Knapp guy. It's like, he was, he was quite a revolutionary. I mean... He was great. He employed a bunch of people. He, he was all about preservation. And, I don't know, sounded like he was a, a responsible steward of uh, Kirtuck County. He, uh, uh, exactly. He also started Ducks and Ducks Unlimited. Yeah, but before that it was called More Game Birds Over America. But he started it. He, everything. And there's people that lived on Knott's Island, like Jane Bromley. Um, everybody got a little duck decoy yeah, right. that lived on, Jane, uh, on Knott's Island. He gifted on that. Wow. It's, he was a great man. He also helped the Kurtuck school system out right. tremendously. Right. So. They even have a little high school named after him over there, the early high school, early college. J.P. Knapp Early College over there. But, good man. But the other ones were okay, too. Were, it was funny that they had advertisements back when the Knights built their um, Whalehead Club, Corolla Island, excuse me, it was called Corolla Island. Is that what it was called? It was not called the Whalehead Club. Who changed it to Whalehead Club? Oh, Mr. Adams did. Okay. So, really and truly, the Knights who built it, it shouldn't be called the Whalehead Club, it should be called Corral Island, because they're the ones who built it. And she had a hot and cold running water. Hot and cold, excuse me, salt water too. Her bath had all these faucets. It was also salt water. So just, just for the record, to the listener, Barbara was a volunteer at... The, the hunt club a long time ago back yeah. when it was only volunteers right. and we had full access to the place right you know, I, I walked, the basement with attic every place I moved here in 97 and I think I did a walk through when they were really just kind of starting the whole renovation so mm-hmm. it was looking pretty crude back then but mm-hmm. um, there was still the hole in the floor yeah in the living room that went down you could look downstairs. They had a dumb, dumb waiter in there, don't they? Oh, yeah. Then they took it out. Did they? Okay. They had a dumb waiter. I took a good picture of it. Is that right? Yes. Maybe I must have seen it or something. No, he was there. Okay. You really went before they really redid it. <laughs> yeah. It was fantastic. Did they have servant quarters up in the attic? Oh, yeah. The yes. servant quarters. The main servants had the bigger rooms. Yes. Crazy. It's a lot, a lot of stories. I lost all that information. That was decades ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, but that was cool. I mean, that was the main thing to come to Kirtuck was to see the Whalehead Club. Back when I was a little girl, we couldn't go past the gate. My grandfather would not let us. But yeah. that was uh, that was when it was the Navy research. Right. For um, They housed the Navy guys there. Or yeah, something. and they also had the rocket fuel testing. It was solid rocket fuel testing. So my grandfather was really, like a lot of locals, went in and out of that place when nobody was there and we weren't permitted. Right. It was against them. But the funny thing about the solid rocket fuels, they buried those barrels. Oh boy. Yeah, over there. 
over there on the ocean side where they're building all the new homes. <laughs> That's yeah. going to rear its ugly head one of these well, days. Well, oh, it did. It did. I did research on oh, it yeah? too. And uh, the government uh, had made the paperwork and said that all the all the barrels had been delivered out of the sand. Yeah. Oh no, they're building these mega mansions out there and they found like three or four more. Oh, you know, they had never dug up all four more. I think that's hilarious. It's like building on a graveyard. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you hit a pile and you hit a solid rocket fuel from the old Whalehead Club. I think that's Surprise. Funny. Yeah. Yes, I, I did an article on that one time and I even had the paperwork. Really? I even had the picture of the barrels that were found in the really? sand. It's like, okay. <laughs> Man, it's, it's like this, uh, they, they found uh, munitions and bombs in southern shores, in people's backyards. Really? Huge bombs, yeah, just a couple years ago. Wow, I didn't know that. See, now my granddaddy would take me to, um, we'd go and pick up brass shells after they would fire. Yeah. They had the targets and everything, and we would go down to the pickup truck on the back of the pickup truck, and we had crab bushels, and we would go down and only pick up the brass shells. There were certain types of airplanes that only hit brass. Okay. Okay. And we would pick up the brass shells, and we would also pick up soft-shell crabs and stuff like that. Well, I met Eddie Potton's father one day on the beach, and, I, and he was mentioning something about... Uh, he made more money picking up shells one year than he did fishing. I, I said, who did you go with when you went shell hunting? And this is, you know, brass shells. Yeah. And he says, some old man, he was a crazy old man, Beasley. I go, oh, my God, Yusef Beasley. He said, yeah. He said, that's my granddaddy. He said, he went out there, and they were in a sand dune. And they used to have a flag on the beach, so you know, red and green, that they were shooting or not shooting. Right. And he goes, he hid in the sand dune on the opposite side of them shooting. He said, but we made more money that year <laughs> off brass shells than we did fishing. Yeah. But, you know, ep- episode two or three with uh, Waikiki Wise, his, he had family lived up in Kerala, family lived in Nagshead, and he was always driving back and forth. And right about the uh, town line, the uh, county line, um, his aunt was driving the old station wagon down the pole road, and bombs were coming down left and right. <laughs> there was a miscommunication, uh-huh. and so they didn't see the flags or the system. But yeah, he, he thought it was hilarious. He was about ten years old, and just bombs were going off left and right. Somehow they survived. But. Is your friend Wise W I S E? W I yeah. Well, guess what. The Wises are from Nags Head Woods. Yep, that's probably the same people. And guess what? My grandfather's sister was named Mary Beasley Wise. Is that right? <laughs> she lived in the house on the top of the cliff right next to Polly Cemetery. Is that right? The Wises and the Beasleys were intermarried. That might be them. That was Mary Wise was real well known. She had a place down by the old, um, on the beach. Yeah. And, and my grandfather was visiting Mary Wise <laughs> when Roosevelt was driving by wow. in 1937 wow. to go see the Lost Colony. That's, That's where cool. my grand, my mother and my grandfather were at Mary Wise's house. Nice. Isn't that well, funny? So Waikie, they lived in Nagshead Woods, and his grandmom would, I guess, hike over the dunes and go to the oceanfront and grab all the dirty laundry for the people living on the ocean, take it back to her house. 
throw it in a laundry machine. The laundry machine was a two-stroke, works on, ran on a two-stroke engine. So you had to like kickstart it like a motorcycle. <laughs> oh my goodness. And they do the laundry and she'd dry it, fold it up, and hike it back over to the ocean side. Well, Mary, uh, Mary O'Neill Beasley, and then her daughter was Mary Beasley Wise. Right. That is. Well, you know, it's, it's, speaking of Beasley, and I don't know if there's a relationship here, but just a couple, about a month ago, I, I did an interview with a, um, a Rami Beasley, and he's a local fisherman, um, grew up here. He's about, I don't know, 75 years old now, still fishing, served in um, Vietnam. He wrote a little book about serving in Vietnam, but yeah, you know, it's just. Well, that Beasley's from Collington and all that area down he's, there. He's from Collington. That is a relative. Okay. They're relatives because there's the Beasleys of Nags Ed Woods okay. and there's the Beasleys of Knott's Island. Okay. And they're not related. Okay. And the Beasleys that were from Nags Ed Woods came up to Penny's Hill. <laughs> okay, what they right. call Penny's Hill now, but to Dutton's and, and Lowark's Hill. And they were the Beasleys there. So all the Beasleys around Penny's Hill came from Nags Head Woods, okay. and they were also the caretakers at Monkey's Island, Solomon Beasley, and that group, Seth Beasley, Solly Beasley. You know them all. They're all... They're I don't all, know how hey, you look, keep track of all these they're names. They're all related. <laughs> <laughs> I got when from Knox Island down to Hatteras. And the funny thing about Hatteras was my favorite historical, informational cousin was Leland Tillett. His wife was Miss Ola Stowe Tillett. I love those two. And they're from Wanchies. But Miss Ola came from Hatteras, right there where the ferry landing was. On the north end? Uh, down there before you go to Ocracoke. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Miss Ola, her family got the cat <laughs> from the old boat that was uh, oh, lost. The ghost ship. Yeah. They got the ghost they ship cat. They got the cat. <laughs> That's a piece of history right oh, there. Oh, that is big time history. And their family graveyard is right there at the ferry boat landing. Is that right? So from down there all the way up. That's amazing. That is a neat story. <laughs> well, Barbara, your, your stories are awesome. Your, uh, your knowledge of the history is amazing. I, I hope you keep telling the stories. I hope you keep uh, posting them on Facebook. Um, it, do, do you, you know, if anybody has any questions, should they direct them to you, or do you don't, not want to answer any questions? No, they can always... <laughs> PM me. Message you on yeah, Facebook? Yes, and then ask a question, and I'll try to get them straight. But I have probably 30 or 40 families that I've done on Ancestry just to keep the links of all the families here on the Outer Banks. I don't know how you keep them all straight. But it's good hard. For you. Especially on Knott's Island is the biggest one. They repeated their names so many times. I, I said to one person, it's like George Foreman. I have never seen so many Henry Whites in my life. And, and, and Manny and Wanchies, they do the same thing with the names. Right. Repeat. Just, yeah. It's hard to know which one's which. Right. And then they name, their, they name their sons and the next sons the right. same name again. So it's hard. That's a good one. Thanks a lot for this podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. It was great meeting you today, Barbara. Okay. Before we sat down and recorded, Barbara was nice enough to give me a quick tour of the area where she lives in Swan Beach. She showed me where the Kurtuk Inlet used to be, where the L.R. White Summer Hotel once stood, and where she lives when she's in town. These places are located on private property, so I was privileged to see them in person. 
Funny side note, before Barbara and I started the recording, we were getting to know each other, and we found out we both used to live in the same area of Prince George's County in Maryland. As I was walking out of the restaurant, the manager said he heard me talking about Prince George's County, and he told me he was from Bowie, which is also in PG County. I should mention we were the only three in the restaurant when we showed up, and we were all from PG County. What are the chances? Anyway, big thanks to Barbara Pardue for sitting down with me. You can find her on Facebook at Northern Outer Banks History. And don't forget to be sure to check out my website, treasuresoftheoutbanks.com, and sign up for the weekly email so we can stay in touch. I promise I won't be annoying. Also, while you're on the website, be sure to check out the merchandise page because I have some new t-shirt designs I think are pretty cool. Just click on an image and drill down to see the full catalog. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode, and until that time, make it a good one.